Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me for another broadcast week with Hope for Your Heart. And I hope that this Christmas season, this Christmas day, that you are just filled with the presence of the Lord and that you are so excited about the fact that you know him and he knows you and you've entered into a relationship with him. Well, today and tomorrow, I know that this is Christmas week, so a lot of you are going to be super busy with family and friends and just celebrating the birth of Christ. So for today and tomorrow, I'm going to do a two-part series on the incarnation of Christ. And I'm going to give you 10 reasons why we as believers in Christ believe that Jesus became a man. He always was God, always will be God. He didn't become God on Christmas Day. He lowered himself and became a man. He took on the form of flesh. So that word incarnation means Jesus became human, took on the form of a man. Now, as we think about this subject, okay, uh, this is a very important theological subject, but sometimes our theology is best understood if we sing it. And, uh, you know, singing has given us a way to help us understand and help us to make us feel and experience the same thing. For example, it's one thing for me to say, we're going to look at the incarnational theology of Christ. Now, it's another thing for me to say, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And as I think about how we sometimes can grapple with theological issues, Sometimes songs allow us to be able to really feel the meaning of what we're trying to understand. The Wesley brothers, Charles and John, uh, were an amazing dynamic duel, I guess we could say. They were two brothers, and uh, they brought about the revival, and they brought about the whole Wesleyan church movement. Charles was the one who was the songwriter. He wrote over 2,000 songs and was an amazing man. And What he would like to do is he'd like to take theology and put it to music. He'd write the lyrics that were theologically sound, and then he put the music to the words that he wrote. And so that's where he came up with the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. That wasn't originally written as a Christmas carol. Uh, It was written as a theological song to help the church understand the fact that Jesus became a man, took on the form of flesh. And again, I remind you that Jesus didn't become God. He always has been God. Jesus himself says, I and my Father are one. If you go way back to the creation account, the Bible is very clear that when God created us, created Adam, created us in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. The us refers to the fact that the Trinity was involved in creation. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, three in one, one in three, and I always say the one in the middle died for me, Jesus had the mission to come to the earth and to identify with us, to be able to drive home the point that he was tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet without sin. So let's dive into the subject today of 10 biblical proofs for the incarnation. Number one would be the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of Jesus, okay? And I'm going to be using several passages as we go through this list today and tomorrow. But John 1.14 says, and the Word became flesh. All right, the Word is talking about Jesus. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And now as I look at this statement, John is writing, and John is referred to as John the Beloved. Now, that's not an arrogant statement that John says about himself. He is really saying that not out of the fact that I'm better than everybody else, and I had a special relationship with Jesus. He's really saying that out of humility. Uh, He's saying that I cannot believe that Jesus loves me. I cannot believe I'm part of the beloved. He's coming across from a state of humility, not pride. God used John in a very special way, and he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. John was one of those apostles that uh, were there. He was part of the inner circle of Christ. You had Peter, James, and John. But then at the crucifixion of Christ, there is John. And Jesus addresses John from the cross and gives John the command to take care of Mary, to take care of his mother. And so John had a very special relationship with Christ. And when he writes the book of John, he begins by talking about this relationship. Now, the reason this is so important, when John was writing, he was battling some major theological errors within the church. Now, I want you to know that the church is always under threat always under attack doctrinally and morally. And and I guess those two things kind of coincide with each other because your theology will dictate your morality and your morality will dictate your theology. Uh, You see, when we are going astray theologically, it is probably because we're going astray morally. And so John says, I'm going to deal with the Gnostics. The Gnostics were those who believed that all flesh is inherently evil. And so they were saying there's no way that Jesus could have been God because Jesus became a human being, and all flesh is bad. And so God cannot be bad, so Jesus could not have been the Messiah. Jesus could not have been God. And so John begins by saying, I want you to know something about who Jesus is. We have seen him, we have touched him, we can relate to him, and he confirms the fact that Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So John says, well, if you believe that all flesh is evil, then you look at Jesus, if you believe that he's evil, there will be some untruth found in him. Because the one thing that we all have in common, everybody who's listening to me today, all of us have lied. We lie because we have the sinful nature to lie, but we also lie because we have become habitually liars, okay? Now, if Jesus ever lied, that would prove the fact that he was not God. So John says that he's full of grace and truth. So we can say the only person who walked the face of the earth who never lied was Jesus. We lie often. That is the proof that we are not God because God is cannot lie. And if we lie, it proves that we are not God, because God cannot lie. So when we think about the truths of Christ, here's a couple of takeaways. Jesus' truth will give you life. Now, some people look at the Bible as the book that Christians use so they can be hypercritical of others. But the truth is, the Bible is a book of life-giving, forgiving love. Adrian Rogers wrote, and no matter how you cut the Bible, the blood of Jesus is on every single page. So Jesus says, I have come to give you life, 
and I've come to give it to you more abundantly. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, Jesus didn't say, I am a way or I am a truth. I mean, that's where our culture is today, right? Uh, you have your truth, I have my truth, and there really is no such thing as truth, but it's something that's true for you or something that is true for me. But Jesus didn't say that I have a truth. He says, I am the truth. And as a result of that truth, no man comes to me except through the Father. I have come to give you life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the truth of who Jesus is gives us life. Jesus' truth also gives us freedom. Now, when I think about the truth that Jesus gives through the freedom that we experience, his truth sets us free from our broken and our sinful past. You see, Jesus' truth, it frees us to live fully alive. His truth frees us to live without fear of the future. Now, if you know Jesus, Jesus is the king of the past, the present, and the future. So if you know Jesus, there should be no fear of the future. You may not know what the future holds, but you know who holds the future. You know the one who holds the future. And Jesus is his name. You see, God designed us in such a way that we long to have a relationship with somebody that is bigger than us and stronger than us. God has put within each and every one of us a God-shaped void. Now, we try to fill it with a whole lot of things, don't we? Uh, We try to fill it with money and power and prestige and a whole lot of other things. But it's only through Christ that we find complete fulfillment. I think about all the philosophers throughout the ages. They've tried to explain away things like the creation and saying this happened by chance or this just kind of came together with millions of years. But when you think about what Jesus says, Jesus talks about the fact that there is order to the universe. He creates all things. He sustains all things. If we had the time, I'd look at Colossians chapter number one, where it says he holds all things together. Now, this is an amazing fact when you think about it. Why do the planets not crash into one another? Why is it that every morning the sun rises? And why is it every 24 hours we take a rotation around the sun? All that is made possible because God created the universe, but he also sustains the universe. Why are there certain laws that cannot be suspended? The law of gravity, for example. If you drop something from a 10-story building, an apple or whatever it is, it's going to drop to the ground. Every single time you do it, it's going to happen over and over and over again. Why is that? Because God has put laws in the universe. When God created mankind, he so wanted to have a relationship with them. And he says, well, I don't want to have a creation or a creature that is worshiping me because they have to. I want them to have a choice. And so he made it as easy as he possibly could. He says, okay, now I'm going to put you in a perfect environment and I'm going to let you do anything that you want to do in this perfect environment. Everything that you need will be taken care of. Now, in order to have this will, this volition, this free will, there has got to be a choice. If there's no choice, there's no free will. And so God says, I'm going to get it to you as simply as I can, Adam and Eve. And I want you to know that this is not about a dietary thing. God's not saying, well, uh, you can't partake of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it's not food that's good for you, but he's giving them a choice. And when they decided to choose something above a relationship with God, above obedience to God, that's when sin entered into the picture. That's when chaos entered into the picture. 
So when we think about chaos, some people say, well, uh, there's storms that happen and uh, tornadoes happen and wildfires out in the forest. So where is God's order in that? Well, even in that, God has his order. There's only so far that the thing can go out of control, right? But that doesn't suspend the regular laws that God has for the universe. So Jesus, in his truth, gives us freedom. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 8. As the disciples gathered around, and uh, this is a verse that is often only half quoted. Jesus said to his disciples, and this is a promise that is given to us as well, if you hold to my teachings, you are truly my disciples. Now, that's the part that we don't usually quote. How do you know that I'm a follower of Christ? I hold on to his teachings. Yes, that begins with a relationship with Christ by being born again. That's the beginning of your relationship with Christ. That is not the end of your relationship with Christ. You are really a disciple of Christ if you hold to his teachings. And then the second half of the verse is the one that we always like to quote. It's actually two verses, John 8, 31 and 32, where 32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So first we've got to hold to the teachings. Another word would be obey the teachings of Christ. When you obey the teachings of Christ, that's when Jesus is your leader, right? That's when you become a disciple of Christ. That's when you're following him. So many people have just an elementary understanding of who Jesus is. They know Jesus as their Savior, but they've never made Jesus their Lord. Now, I'm not sure, and I don't want to make a blanket statement here, but I'm not sure that you're truly born again. If you have just accepted the savingness of Christ, without the teachings of Christ. Now, you can debate that with me if you want, but I know when the Lord changes your life, he changes the direction of your life. And being saved is more than just praying a little prayer. Now, that may be the catalyst that gets you started in a relationship with Christ, but I have found through the years, I have led a lot of people in what's called the sinner's prayer, and I still do it to this day. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I'm always concerned, are they going to follow through? Is there going to be any fruit that remains Because Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall bear much fruit. But then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So salvation is more than saying a little prayer. Salvation involves making Jesus the Lord of your life. So Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, maybe the reason that you're not being set free from some of the strongholds in your life is because you don't really know the truth. And the reason that you don't really know the truth is because you're not willing to follow the teachings of God's Word. You've become selective in following God's Word. You've kind of picked the things that you like and set aside the things that you don't like. You've actually revised the Word of God to meet your lifestyle. That's why I'm so excited about the Word of God. Because heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God endures forever. Well, we've just learned one reason why we believe that Jesus became a man. 100% man, 100% God, because of the truth of Jesus. Here's the second reason. We believe in the incarnation because of the prophecies of Jesus. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 to you. Paul, writing to the Jewish believers, he says, 
Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, as we look at these first two verses of the book of Hebrews, we discover that God has made a change in how he communicates to us. Now, it's not that God is changing. This was part of his plan. When mankind fell into sin in in the book of Genesis, we get into Genesis 3.15, God unfolding his plan of the Messiah coming. And then it talks about his plan through the prophets and through the judges and sometimes even through the kings. And they are sharing the fact that Jesus is coming. The prophets were given the responsibility of hearing from God and then proclaiming what God said to them. Now, Old Testament prophets, which is an office that is no longer really in existence, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But in the Old Testament, God would always speak to his prophets, and his prophets would speak on behalf of God. It was a unique gift. It was a unique um, office in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus fulfills this office of prophet, priest, and king, but in the literal sense of the word prophet, that ministry of the prophet became extinct when Jesus was here on the earth. So when we say we have prophets, and some people say, well, the book of Hebrews 4.11 says that God gave some to be prophets, right? Uh, Some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. Uh, What is he talking about there? The gift of prophecy in the New Testament has really taken on a different understanding. In the New Testament, the gift of prophecy is more along the lines of the gift of discernment. In other words, a prophet can look at somebody and say, based upon where you are right now and the trajectory of your life right now and how you're living your life right now, either good is going to come from it in the future or bad is going to come from it in the future. Generally, the prophet is the one that can point out the things that need to be addressed in your life, the things that are wrong in your life. And it is a wonderful gift, the gift of discernment. But it's a little different than the Old Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophet was hearing directly from God and sharing that message to his people. So when we get into Hebrews chapter 1, here Paul says that God used to speak to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, and by the way, we began the last days at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When Jesus rose again from the dead, and then he ascended up into heaven on the day of Pentecost, when that happened, that began the last days. So Paul says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, as I look at the incarnation of Christ, Jesus taking on the form of a man, you know, there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus' coming. I found 365 to be exact, but some would say that they might be closer to 400. I may have missed a few. But anyway, between two and 400 prophecies of the coming of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Now, just in the book of Isaiah alone, there are over 100 prophecies of the coming of Jesus the first time. Just in the book of Isaiah. Unbelievable when you think about it. The prophecies of Christ all pointed to the fact that Jesus was coming, and they gave details as to what that was going to look like. So we've learned so far that we believe in the incarnation of Jesus because Jesus spoke the truth. He never lied. And number two, because of all the prophecies 
that pointed to Jesus himself, and no other person who's ever walked the face of the earth can fulfill the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Number three, we believe in the incarnation of Christ because of the name of Jesus. I told you there's over 100 prophecies of Jesus as coming, as first coming in the book of Isaiah. One of those prophecies is one that you're very familiar with, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, right there is a theological statement, right? The child born, but the son was given. It doesn't say unto us a son was born. It says a child was born, but the son referring to Jesus himself was a gift that was given to humanity. And we learn more about this gift when Isaiah says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, unfortunately, this prophecy was misinterpreted by the early church and by those who were looking for the first coming of Christ. And those who were of the Jewish faith, many of them were looking for Jesus to come to overthrow the Roman Empire. That's why on the day of Palm Sunday, they were hailing Jesus as king. You know, they'd palm branches down, they put their coats down on the road, and then Jesus marched into the holy city. So in their mind, Jesus is coming to overthrow the Roman Empire, but that wasn't his purpose. Jesus later on says, my kingdom is not of this world, right? It's a heavenly kingdom. One day he will be king of this earth when this earth is destroyed, and there's a new heaven and a new earth that is created. But when Jesus comes, he is going to be one that will have the government upon his shoulders. In other words, ultimate authority rests on Jesus himself. And his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, I hope that you will join me next year as we begin a new year, because a lot of the messages that I'm going to be giving in 2024 are going to be working around the subject of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's one of his names. That's who he is. And maybe you're living your life today and you're saying, I really don't have a whole lot of peace in my life today. My life seems to be falling apart. My life seems to be uh, uh, bursting at the seams. Maybe today it's because you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there's something about that name, the name of Jesus. It is a name that is above all other names. Isaiah says that he is our wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Well, let me cover one more point before we finish up the broadcast today. We've learned that we believe in the incarnation of Jesus because of the truth of Jesus himself. He never lied. He had no capacity to lie because he is God. We learned secondly that there are prophecies referring to the coming of Jesus as Messiah over 300 of them. Number three, we have learned that Jesus became man, and his name is given to us as a son that has been given. And then number four is the timing of Jesus's coming. Galatians chapter four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
So here's an amazing thing. We see we see the timing of Jesus coming at the fullness of time. At the closing of the Old Testament canon, the book of Malachi finishes up. There are 400 years of silence. Now, I have a, uh, I can conjecture why it was 400 years. I think it was because it was 400 years of bondage for the people of Israel. They were under Egyptian bondage for 400 years. So God is going to wait 400 years symbolically of the fact that the people of Israel were in bondage for 400 years. So God doesn't speak in that intertestament period, the time between the closing of the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. When Jesus finally fulfills the fullness of time, he comes at just the right time, at just the right place. He was born under the law so that he could redeem us. That means that he is a fulfillment of the law and that he's going to bring about redemption. There's going to be a transition that takes place between the Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to go from the time of living under the law to the time of living under grace because Jesus himself fulfills the law. And he comes to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Well, join me for part two tomorrow as we continue the study of 10 proofs of the incarnation of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.